So you want to get your MBA and you've got a few questions. Well, we've got answers. Welcome to the MBA podcast, the spot for honest and actionable advice about business school. For more information, check out our site at thembapodcast.com. Now, here's your host, David O'Brien. Today, we are interviewing Maddie. She is applying in round two of 2023 for her MBA and already has a Juris Doctorate. She also runs a successful tennis teaching business, but has ambitions to scale her reach and move into a role with more oversight and managerial duties as opposed to on the courts teaching, though my wife and I can attest to the fact that she is a great coach. Also, special shout out to her parents down in Florida. Thank you so much for your support of our podcast, and I hope you and you, my dear listener, enjoy the episode. All right. Welcome back, everyone. This is my friend, Maddie, and she is applying to MBA school. We're going to start with our typical uh, typical questions. But first, Maddie, thank you for joining me. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you, David, for having me on. Awesome. Um, so tell me a little bit about the very beginning. What made you want to get an MBA? Most definitely. So I recently graduated from law school and coming from a background where My parents really struggled financially with work. My mother didn't graduate college. Um, For me, law school seems like a really safe route um, in terms of not only having financial security, hopefully with that route, but also just when you're in undergrad and you're thinking about different jobs, what to do, I didn't really have a clear cut vision of what I would end up doing or where I would be. So choosing to attend law school seemed almost like an automatic solution. But once I began law school at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually started teaching tennis and building a tennis business after having, you know, a long career being a tennis player um, before and during college. And through that experience of starting my own business, teaching clients, building that business even more, I started to realize that there had to be so much more out there for me beyond just being a lawyer. And of course, David, I do say that I have to say that being a lawyer is still a phenomenal career. And I know so many peers of mine who are so happy with their career as an attorney, but I knew for me that there had to be something else, something more. Um, And some of my clients, my tennis students had MBAs or were completing their MBAs. And through my conversations with them, I just felt such a, such a connection, honestly, with these people's pursuits of, of innovation and, and going towards careers that made them excited about their future. Um, And the more and more I learned about MBA programs and the curriculum and the types of careers that people build from there. I just thought, you know what, maybe this is what's for me. Maybe this is that, that more, that next step. Um, and then of course, meeting you, David, that has certainly, you know, opened my eyes to the potential of what an MBA program can offer me. And so here I am applying for round two and, uh, it's been just the best journey thus far in this short amount of time. And so, uh, yeah, that's sort of my spiel. Perfect. Well, thank you. Full disclosure here, dear listener. Uh, Maddie is uh, my wife, Katie and I's tennis coach is yes. how we met. Um, yeah. It was very, very serendipitous. So if you're in the Chicago area, would highly recommend um, using Maddie. And we'll, we'll talk about that more um, yeah. coming up. Um, 
I appreciate everything that you said in terms of getting in there. The the JD during uh, COVID must have been super fun. Um, <laughs> since we have discussed this previously, I kind of want to I kind of want to drill down here. Um, so, listeners, uh, throwing Maddie is very humble, like most people. Um, throwing it to the wind, she's built a very strong business for herself with her tennis. Um, she has other coaches that work for her as well. Um, of course, baseline, she's just a good coach period. You know, you got to be good at what you do to, to make it that way. But, um, she's built a very solid business and what we've discussed though, that, and the question I'm getting to is don't let me put words in your mouth, Natty, but what I've, what I've heard from you essentially is that you're at a point where you're essentially an entrepreneur, but you're looking at how to scale your business. Exactly. Okay. Yep. So how does the MBA fit into that? Yeah. So for me, I have a lot of people who say, you've already built a successful business. You're making X figures a year. Why do you need to get an MBA? But for me, getting an MBA is a strategic move. Um, it will bridge the gap um, within my skill set. Um, uh, in a sense, my uh, it will enhance my business knowledge um, and will also position me to if I choose to at any point during my career, um, pivot towards pivot into other industries. Um, and I also do believe that, you know, we all want long-term success, especially, especially if you're pursuing entrepreneurial ventures. And so for me, I've found success sustaining the current business I have right now, but I want so much more than just getting more clients. I want so much more than just getting more coaches. I want to be able to, develop my, you know, my financial acumen, develop my marketing skills, my, my ability to analyze the market and, and, uh, be aware of data trends. And there's all these different components that are part of a successful business. And despite other people perceiving my business as successful, I know that there's so much more success to be had if I was to build upon, um, what I currently know which, um, you know, I do have legal expertise. I have an entrepreneurial spirit, but I want to strengthen all the other skills that I haven't had the opportunity to build yet. And um, within an MBA, MBA program, I am confident I'll be able to do that. Super well said. That gave me so many thoughts. So I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here. And Maddie, oh, you're just going to have to have to let me embarrass you. Um, Let's do it. Let's do it. So uh, <laughs> listeners, a couple things I want you to really pay attention to about what Maddie said. One, um, her reasons for wanting an MBA are clear and articulated, but they're not that super, super specific, right? She said, you know, yeah, basically scaling up my business, right? And that's, that's essentially using business talk like MBAs. That's not a bad thing to use, but she also talks about the fact that she can pivot. And that is a very real sentiment that a lot of people sometimes feel like they maybe shouldn't mention, but. It was clearly thought out. It was articulated. And then remember, this is just being spoken off the cuff. Like when we start writing this in an essay, mm -hmm. it's going to sound even better. Um, but what I really want you to pick up on there, though, is that even though it sounds polished, you can still tell it's authentic, which is what matters because there's an honesty there to, yeah, I want to scale my business. I don't know how, but in all honesty, I probably want to pivot too. And I just know that the MBA is good for that. Um, so that's point number one. Um, Point number two, this one's a little more nuanced and forgive me. I know we're here to listen to Maddie, but, um, I want to, I want to get this out kind of organically. Um, both 
Maddie and my wife, Katie, are very, very successful women prior to applying to or getting into business school. And there's this, and Maddie, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this like a statement, but I'd like your reaction to this too. Um, there's this really shitty tendency for, especially men, um, and it happened, I'm sure, in Maddie's life, and I, I saw it happen in, in Katie's life, where they literally, like verbatim, ask, why would you want more? right? Mm-hmm. You're already making well over six figures a year. Why would you want more? There's a weirdness there too, because you know, if it was me, they'd be like, Oh, good for you, son. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's that weird sexism and it's not just related to it, right? I'm sure there are plenty of men out there that make a lot that you almost feel strange wanting to make more. And then people will ask you, you know, you already have a successful business. So that's a fairly common sentiment. And what I'm getting at here is um, Maddie, can you expand upon that a little bit, that what you're feeling as tough as it is, I've, I've actually found not to be unique, especially with, um, successful women. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great, a great point. Um, I think that especially most people who are applying for an MBA program, uh, have already maybe had a few years of professional work under their belt. And I have as well, where I'm Unlike when I applied for law school, I'm not applying for an MBA degree because, oh, I need to make six, seven figures. I have, I'm privileged to say, but I also have worked my butt off, right, to be able to um, develop a sense of financial security. So now applying for an MBA program, it's okay. I want to empower myself through the opportunities, people, and experiences that an MBA program can offer. Um, it becomes more, it becomes about more than just the money. Although I say that understanding that, of course, we're not all in positions where, you know, getting an MBA is this easy path without having to take into account the financial components of it. I understand that. But what I'm attempting to to make a point of is that specifically for women, right? This is where we should keep going, right? This is where we shouldn't stop. Why? Because we want a family, because we want to be able to prove to other people that money isn't our number one pursuit and that family is number one. No, this this idea of we can have it all is only possible if we continue to put all that we have into ourselves, right? Um, you know, your wife, Katie, my friend, Katie, she's an incredible woman. And she is proof in the pudding that you can have it all for yourself. You can have it all for your partner. But you can only do that if you know that you're putting everything that you have into your own success. And that success doesn't necessarily mean financial success. It means, okay, if I have these skills, let me see what I can do with them. Right. And so that's why for me, when people tell me, oh, isn't a law degree enough? Like, why do you want to go back to school? I think, why don't you go back to school, right? Why would you not want that additional experience to meet people from all across the globe who have done extraordinary things in their lives with their extraordinary, unique sets of skills? I want that opportunity. We live once, David. Why would I not want to put my hard-earned money into an experience where I can not only travel with classmates, I can not only take classes from world-renowned professors, but I can also build upon what I want in life. Um, and to me, that that's worth everything. 
Okay, well, that just gave me goosebumps. Do you, do you want to take over this podcast? Because I want to go to MBA. I want to go to MBA school now. Good lord! Hello, everyone. Welcome to the MBA <laughs> podcast with your host Madeline. Yes, Madeline. Yeah. No, that was exactly, exactly. And you know, um, listeners out there, like uh, I think I've shared this with you, but Maddie's in the same boat where myself, Katie, Maddie, um, a lot of our friends did not come from money. Um, debt was our option, right? Debt is how, you know, um, Katie got her first, her first master's degree with debt, right? Um, Maddie, I believe you're a QuestBridge scholar. Yes. And if you're unfamiliar with that guys, that's just a very much a, um, low income opportunity sort of, uh, it's a tough one. It, it's, um, very rigorous. So congratulations for getting that, but that's like, um, yeah, no, no joke. Um, it's, as I said in the other podcast, I always take it with a grain of salt when someone says money isn't everything when they're talking about their $250,000 a year salary. Right. I'm like, you know, I remember my dad bouncing a check for milk and it's tough for me to say, you know, money's not nothing. But what I love about what you said was the, the people that you meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and listeners, we'll, we'll talk about this more, uh, in a separate podcast and we're probably going to hopefully be lucky enough to have Maddie back on some more interviews. Um, cause she's just now starting, she's applying round two. So we're going to kind of follow her journey. Um, but the people that you meet is part of the reason why like a full-time and actually going to a full-time program can be worth it. Again, we'll get on that topic, um, in a, in another episode, but, um, all right, Maddie. So we, we've talked a little bit about how you started to decide, uh, that the MBA was for you. Um, uh, very awesome articulate reasons. I appreciate that making my job easy. Uh, what was your school selection process like? Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew that I wanted to be in a program that would have world-class resources, incredible opportunities would be, because at the end of the day, it's an investment, right? We're investing over, a, a, over six figures into this degree. So like you had noted, David, in a, in I think it might've been one or two episodes of your podcast about ROI. Um, That return on my investment is important, Um, especially having developed a a much deeper understanding of my own finances. I want to ensure that any investment I make into my education or my business um, will give me that, that uh, return. So I definitely knew I wanted to apply to the top um, MBA programs, specifically the M7s, um, well aware of the lower acceptance rate, the, the higher scores you, you need to get. Um, but I also have felt such a strong sense of confidence in this pursuit because the plan was never to get an MBA. It just became the most natural next progressive step based on everything that I've done up to this point, law school in a way was, was, um, was just a default. It was just something that I forced down my throat, so to speak, while for, while for the, the pursuit of an MBA, it, it in a way just collided with everything that I have been doing up to this point, which in a way is such a, such a beautiful experience to be had when I'm teaching you know, when I'm traveling across the country and flying out to teach different students and these different students are saying to me, Maddie, when are you getting your MBA? 
And for me, being able to hear that from other professionals who I respect so much, who become close friends, clients, confidants, that's, that's, that's really powerful. And I think it says a lot about the fact that I allowed myself to get lost in my business. I allowed myself to just go all in into something that I was passionate about, that I was invested in, um, and built me into the type of leader that is ready for um, an, a top MBA program. All right. So we have some very authentic, again, I use that word a lot, listeners, and I, I know that I'm using it a lot, but authenticity is what we're hearing. Uh, Maddie, I actually have a bunch of follow-up questions to that because that was great again. Um, but what we didn't discuss is, uh, and listeners, you're, you're not going to be surprised by this. Uh, what schools are you applying to? And it might be singular. What school are you applying to? So I am... I am doing what so many people say not to do and what I have always been so averse to doing, which is putting all my eggs in one basket. Um, I'm not doing it uh, without understanding the what that means, but I am putting all my eggs into the basket of Booth. Big Where's surprise, Chicago Booth. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and the reveal. <laughs> now, now, how much of that and, and feel free to give us some thought. We can return to it later. How much of that though is because we happen to be in Chicago? Obviously, I mean, the rank is huge, right? The rank is a gigantic portion. It's number two right now, but by a, a percentage of a point. Um, yeah. How much of it is because literally, you know, it, you're in Chicago. I, I, I would be lying if I didn't say that that obviously ha is a big contributing factor to the reasons why I developed such a strong interest in Booth. But the majority of listeners probably are aware that Chicago also hosts another M7 school, Kellogg. Um, but I have had the fortune of being able to have clients, tennis students who have not only attended or do attend both Kellogg um, and Booth. And I hope if any like of my wife. Kellogg or my Kellogg listeners are, if any of my Kellogg students are listening, um, I love you guys, but gosh, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be very careful here. Um, no, there's been a sense of just ease with, with the, the conversations I've had with, with people who are, or have previously attended booth, everything, um, that I've learned about it, all of the booth affiliated events I've been able to participate in. Um, I will say that I, I went to Emory University for my undergrad and I did not have mentors. I did not have professors who I'm, I won't say they didn't see something special in me, but I really struggled finding or creating a, a, a sense of, uh, of community and, and support, um, amongst any superiors of mine. It literally wasn't until moving to Chicago and connecting with people specifically from Booth did I feel like people believed in me. Um, of course, we have our family and I have my parents who are the reason why I do what I do. I push for more. I want, to, I seek not just happiness, but fulfillment in my life. And that's because of my parents. But when you meet people who have not only accomplished what you want to accomplish and they're telling you, you can do this. Um, that's, that's, it's more than empowering. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's reassuring that you can keep going and, and it's worth it. Um, and so the fact that literally 99% of those people 
have gone or do go to booth. It's I'm not much of a horoscope girl, David, but <laughs> I, I, I believe in that 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 strong serendipitous coincidence. Um, yeah. And I've just I've been holding on to it and pursuing it. And this is you know as someone who applied to 24 undergraduate schools and 26 <laughs> law schools, <laughs> this is the this is out of my element. This is, but that's why I think that it will actually happen for me because I am listening to my gut. And I'm doing everything it takes to to follow that that strong sense of urgency that this is the school for me. That's wonderful. I uh, so my dear listener, a couple of piggybacks off of that because Maddie's given us really good context here. Um, I'm not doing a good job, but I'm trying to be unbiased towards Booth. Uh, the the general sentiment here, though, overall is seriously the top M7 schools. You're going to be fine going to any of them. I will say though. Uh, there's a reason my wife and I sold our house and moved out here a couple of days after getting married to attend Booth. It, it's a special school. It really is. Um, yeah, that, that's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Maddie. I, uh, I, the last thing, just to maybe bring some pragmatics to it, um, I, I, I too am getting inspired by Maddie and I want to apply to Booth. Um, I might be a good <laughs> candidate. I, that would be really interesting to see if like, I could get myself in. Actually, I should totally experiment with that. Um, I would like that. That would be great. Yeah. Oh, I lost my train of thought there. That's okay. Though. Oh, what, what was it? What'd you say? Sorry. I talked over you that we could be. Oh yeah. I could like just totally crunch down and apply in round two. Maybe I should actually, I'm actually starting to consider this. That'd be incredible. Um, yeah. Why not? Actually, what would give you better experience than doing it? Oh God. Did I just sign my, did I just sign myself up? <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Could you imagine if like I had crap essays, I'd be so embarrassed. Just do some hot spotting. Oh, oh yeah. Where'd you get <laughs> too funny? Um, oh, I did. This is what I wanted to mention just to be pragmatic. Uh, cause you know, the, the pragmatic part here is that there are situations, Maddie and Katie are, were both like this where they wanted to change. They want sustainable change, but they had the ability to narrow down the schools that they applied to because they didn't have to do it that year. Right. Like if Maddie, if we don't get in to Chicago booth, she can apply next year. Mm -hmm. I am going to be very shocked not to put any pressure on you, but, um, I'll call her right now. Uh, Maddie will be at Chicago booth, um, next year. Knock on wood. Right. But there, there can be, you know, you need to know yourself and actually that, that piggybacks into my next question. Um, but real quick, the know yourself listener, all I mean by that is that we're not necessarily advocating for applying just to one school. It is, it is appropriate if it's appropriate. It, it totally is. But again, you know, there's various different MBA applicants out there who, for whatever reason, they're like, you know, I've told myself that it's this year or not. Um, I'd encourage you not to do that, but again, it may end up happening either way. What I want to get to here, that's really important. And then we're going to diverge a little bit, possibly Maddie from the MBA. And I kind of just want to talk about you for a second. Um, I've certainly noticed this in our court time and when we're hanging out, but you have a very interesting, um, concept, a, a grasp of who you are as mm -hmm. a person. You're very easily able, and this isn't listeners, this isn't unique to like me telling her to like, think about the MBA. This has been true from day one when we didn't even know about the MBA and we met each other that you have a good understanding of who you are and what you want. And you can articulate it. Mm -hmm. I know that I'm kind of asking a really big question here. 
but how the heck did you get there? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you know yourself that well? And you're able to articulate it too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we all, everyone has their own personal experiences that force them to get to know parts of themselves that maybe they ignored for years. Right. I mean, I, again, I was a tennis player growing up, so I was homeschooled and I spent my entire childhood alone. And I don't say that to, you know, looking for, for sympathy or anything like that, but I always was in a sense, a lone wolf. And then I went to college um, and I started doing all the things that I thought I needed to do because everyone else was doing it. Right. Um, we also can't ignore the fact that in route to any graduate school program, we have personal experiences that we deal with relationships, you know, breakups, different experiences that happen along the way. And those types of experiences in a way woke me up where I said to myself, Maddie, you spent X amount of time doing this, Y amount of time with this person. Time to put that time and that energy that you put into other things and other people that aren't here anymore into yourself, right? Start realizing what you want to do when those people and those other things don't matter and aren't there, right? So even law school, I did that because I thought that was the right thing to do. I assumed going to law school would give me this type of career, make this amount of money. Boom. I'll have a family. Boom. It'll all happen. Right. And so when COVID happens, I didn't get into my dream law school at all. I actually ended up at my plan Z law school. I, you know, the rose colored glasses came off and I said to myself, am I just going to sit here and accept what doesn't make me feel fulfilled? Instead, I spent the time doing other things. And part of that was starting my tennis business, starting to teach tennis, doing something that I knew I was good at, right? Something that made me different, something that made me stand out. And that's when I truly started to develop that stronger sense of self, right? And I think I said earlier, getting lost in my own pursuit of something more. Um, And I think that I tell my tennis students this, right? Um, when I'm on the court for an hour with a student one-on-one, once, twice a week for the span of two years, I get to know my, my students. And I'm always telling my, my, my students, especially my younger students, you know, I teach girls who are 12 years old, 13 years old. I say, do what makes you happy, right? It sounds so easy and so cliche. It's easy to say, just do what makes you happy. But truly, we don't have to do what other people tell us is the right thing to do. There's all these set paths towards this idea of greatness. When in reality, getting to greatness means doing what you're great at, not doing what everyone else thinks is great. Um, So I think that ultimately, to answer your question, blocking out the noise is really what got me to to where I am now, which is having a better sense of myself. But I'm still not 100% there. I know that there's so many other parts of me that I'm still getting to know, but it's incredible how this MBA pursuit has been one of those those steps, one of those chapters to helping me learn more about myself and be surrounded around people who are helping me learn about those parts of me. 
I'm a little emotional. That was very, very, uh, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I kind of need a second to categorize all that or quantify, not quantify, I don't know, whatever. I'm at a loss for words. It that is, was awesome, it is emotional. Thank and you. Yeah. It is emotional in the sense of I've had, you know, mental health. Those things are, those things are real, right? And I've had my own, my own bouts throughout my life. Um, that obviously is its own, own topic. And I'm sure everyone has had those moments in their life. Um, depending on their situation or their circumstance, but no one really knows what goes on, you know, behind the curtain, right, within our own heads. And I think that's something that's really important to note. I'm able to go onto the tennis court and and put on this smile because, gosh, do I love tennis. Gosh, do I love being on the tennis court. But maybe my walk to the tennis court was, you know, involved some things that are more personal and, and have to do with my own things that I'm still working through, right? But that's why, like I said, pursue what you are good at, what makes you feel good about yourself, because that's the only way you'll be able to get out of your own head. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And to echo the mental health sentiment, um, I think we all have said it before. We're like, yeah, that's a topic for another time. But I think Maddie and I both completely agree on this. And listener, you probably do too. The The key about mental health is that actually it's never a separate topic. It's yeah. always relevant to everything. Um, I'll certainly share my own story at some point. Um, but yeah, listener, this is a stressful process. It's okay to be stressed, but please do take, um, take it on yourself to take care of yourself as best you can. Be okay with being stressed. It's okay. But you know, the MBA application process, you know, e even for Maddie, right? Like I'm walking her through it one-on-one -on -one outside of this. It's still unbelievably stressful. So take care of yourself. Um, so Maddie, what I got out of that, once I kind of wrap my head around it and remove some of the good emotion, you have a, this really interesting thing. So, um, I have worked really hard on self-discovery as well. And again, I'll, I'll save that for another podcast. Maybe I'll have you interview me. Um, but there's this interesting thing where you have this genuine sense of self-discovery for the sake of self-discovery. Mm -hmm. And early in this podcast, I, I really tried to get across to our listeners that you need to do that sense of self-discovery to write a good essay, to understand why you want to go to MBA school, uh, but also to know, you know how to test for the GMAT or the GRE or if you need a test prep thing. Um, I want to expand upon that real quick. So again, a little bit of a monologue here, but I'd really encourage you, Maddie, as well, and everyone, um, just to keep this into perspective that getting into MBA school, it's kind of like starting high school. You think it's a big deal. And then you realize, oh crap, I have a whole lot more work to do. Right. And then on the other side of it, you realize, oh, I have 30 more years of work. Like that was just the beginning, you know? So this self-discovery thing and understanding why you are where you are or are trying to go where you want to go is super important. But I believe in breaking things down to actionable pieces of advice. I hate platitudes. So here's what I heard listener um, from Maddie, and I'm not, not trying to, to say that this is correct or anything, but my interpretation of it was, cause I've seen this before and I've seen it in myself. She has, and this is what I would encourage you to do. Um, the self-discovery starts with goal directed exercises. Okay. So she looks at why do I want to go to JD? What, what uh, Juris Doctorate is what we're referencing here. It's uh, law school. Why do I want to get, why do I want to become a lawyer? 
right? She, she starts with that. It's a goal directed behavior, but then when she's looking back on it, she's doing self-discovery for the sake of self-discovery. So I get that it can be difficult to separate the context within that, that you're within right now, because all of you are probably very goal directed of why do I want to go to an MBA school? So I'm not saying you necessarily need to artificially do some self-discovery for self-discovery's sake, but in terms of looking at, in Maddie's case, like how did the JD, that decision affect her MBA? There's a benefit to looking at the JD as goal-directed behavior in terms of self-discovery, but also what did it teach her about, you know, the people that she, she associates with? She mentioned relationships, all of that stuff. And importantly, that just because those things or people or times have passed in her life, she's now looking at it as a self-discovery for the sake of self-discovery purpose. And I'd encourage you to do that. So to summarize, I think it starts with self, it starts with goal directed behavior. Why did I choose this goal? And then you can kind of expand from that. Anyway, I just wanted to sum up what I, what I took away from uh, that very inspiring piece. Uh, Thank you, Maddie. Yeah, of course. And, and being okay with it, right? It's okay. It took me so long to get past this sense of shame I felt for not getting into a top tier law school. Ooh, go on, please. Truly. I, uh, for the first few months, I wouldn't even, I, I was, I didn't even post on my LinkedIn where I went actually for the first two years, because all of these people who knew me from Emory, which is a, is a prestigious school, fairly prestigious, had these expectations based on all that I accomplished and all of the talk I had about the different things I wanted to do in my life. And I was so focused on trying to prove something to other people that when I didn't get that or make that happen, getting into a top tier law school, I felt this sense of failure. And even though I was going to law school, it didn't feel like it was enough. But again, like you talk about the self-discovery, now that I'm able to look back on it and I've been able to work towards my actual goals, my actual desires, it all makes sense to me. I didn't get into one of the law schools I quote unquote wanted to go to because I didn't actually want to go to law school. When I was writing the essays for law school, they weren't authentic. I wrote what I thought would get me in. I studied so much as I thought was necessary. I didn't study extra because I only wanted to do the bare minimum since I think deep down inside, I was going to law school to become a lawyer, but I wasn't becoming a lawyer to have the life that I wanted. Okay. Awesome. You know, that's sort of a a abstract way of putting it, but I, I, I essentially am trying to say that being able to now look back in retrospect um, with my accomplishments and, and my past academic history, um, the things that maybe didn't go my way per se, uh, those things are what have brought me to now. It took me to not go to a top law school to seek out a different type of venture in order to get that sense of fulfillment. That's fair. I, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate and throw a bit of a confrontational question at you because I know that you'll, you'll probably bite on this and come up with something awesome. Um, first of all, personally, yeah, I, I, I think that's wonderful. I totally get it. Um, and you're kind of living, you're w- talking the talk and walking the walk with that. You have made good on that. 
Um, but being that you are a business professional and we have a lot of business professionals listening, which means very logic driven people, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about a logical fallacy, which is the sunk cost fallacy mm-hmm. that once you have paid for, gone to completed and finished a juris doctorate, you are infinitely more likely to justify your choice post hoc afterwards because you've sunk a cost into it. Right. This is this is in business since they teach this at um, my wife taught me this from Chicago Booth about how people, you know, you have buyer's remorse when you buy a house, but then you get the sunk cost fallacy of you start justifying, well, it's okay, even though the plumbing's bad. It's okay because it led to this, because it led to this. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that I well, I'm not, I don't agree that that's what's going on here, but just because, you know, super I'm talking to a very intelligent person right now. I'd love to hear your take on that in terms of how have you checked yourself in terms of making sure that's an authentic response and not essentially just justifying things? Um, well, the sunken cost concept doesn't apply here because I got a full ride. So Touché. <laughs> no sunk costs here, David. <laughs> Touche. You know, that's totally fair. That is totally fair. Um, For me, it was a it was a time situation. It was the value okay. of my time, right? Um, e- my first two years of law school were remote, but because of that sense of lost time, I spent the remote time. Right, I was in a Zoom lecture, and my phone was on the side of the tennis court while I'm teaching. You know, Serena Williams family. So I right. utilized the the sense of time lost towards something that was actually a financial gain. Now, to be fair there, I, I am not trying to call BS and say that it's a sunk cost fallacy. I just wanted to throw that out there. No, I love um, that because I do absolutely think uh, in so many areas of my life after the fact, I'll be like, but you know what? It was worth it because here I am. It was worth it because I met this person. So I think it right. was very easy to, to justify a past decision or experience. Um, because it already happened and we don't want to be living every day with, with tons of regrets on our decisions. Right. Right. And not to get completely off topic, you and I have talked about this before. Um, and I'm sure we can do it in a different podcast, but, uh, listeners, I feel like all of us know for a fact where this shows up a lot is in the negative patterns in our relationships, which is a a totally different, totally different conversation. But, um, interesting though, to bring it again, back to actionable stuff, Mm -hmm. uh, so a previous interviewer, Maddie, that I was talking or interviewee that I was talking to, uh, he shared a sentiment that Colorado State University, where um, I grew up, around where I grew up, has a hundred thousand dollar MBA. I think it's actually one hundred and twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. And originally in the podcast, I had talked about, oh, that might be worth it if this, if that, if this. And what I really like about the previous interviewer, interviewee, was that he pretty much just said no. It's mm-hmm. not worth, because uh, uh, to put it in perspective, CSU is not even ranked at all. They don't right. have a rank, right? right? CSU is a good school. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we all know the cost of school is stupid nowadays. Right. Um, and what I kind of want to point out just that Maddie brought up here was that, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, it, it's truly not a sunk cost fallacy because there was not a cost. And that, that does open you up, listener, if let's say for whatever reason, CSU is going to be free, is a full ride. The knowledge, just like a Juris Doctorate or an MD or something, that's real good knowledge that is worth getting. So yeah, a a CSU or some school like that would absolutely be worth it. And I think honestly, in terms of the the embarrassment 
that Maddie said she felt about uh, Emmer? Who was it? Your under or your JD? Um, University of Illinois at Chicago. Okay. Um, so for for clarity's sake, I went to University of Phoenix online for my bachelor's. I am so embarrassed by it. Um, and I try and be adamant about that though, because University of Phoenix is evil, (laughs) terrible, but, uh, I think you guys will listeners will have to, uh, that will probably need to be its own episode if if we're going to tackle that topic. But, um, it's a, it's a shared sentiment. Um, and at the end of the day, if the reason at the end of the day, JD's MDs, MBAs, the name does matter. It it does. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, Oh. Now I can still have a, when I graduated law school, friends got me a phone case that says I'm a lawyer. So now I can just always say, um, excuse me, I'm a lawyer. Yeah. Yep. So I get that. That is totally fair. That is awesome. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah. Um, I, I could probably tangent on that forever. Uh, I, this is going to be a total non sequitur. Uh, sometime earlier in our conversation, you reminded me of this and I just want to get out here on the podcast before I forget it and mention it to you since I don't think we've actually had this discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, contextually, I think this was really related to Maddie knowing why she wanted to do the MBA um, after the JD and some of the best advice I've ever heard that I'll pass on to everybody, including you, Maddie, in terms of writing your essay mm-hmm. is that you should treat it like a superhero origin story. Right. Uh, oh, I know what it was. You said that the MBA was a natural next step. Yeah. And while it might not be natural for everyone, I get that kind of look at it like that. Tell me when you're writing an essay, cause I've told, I've told the listeners, you know, to address their essay directly to me. Um, that's a writing technique that helps. And Maddie, same thing when you're writing your YMBA essay or, you know, the, the common, tell me something personal about yourself, tell it like a superhero origin story where essentially your superpower is going to be the MBA mm-hmm. and like, why was it just kind of natural that, Oh, of course you end up at booth. Of course you end up at Harvard. And that can be a really strong way to come off as confident, but not arrogant. Where if you can end like an essay where you're like, why wouldn't I go to booth? Right. Right. That, that's cool. So, um, can't remember the exact concept, but you, you, uh, I took a note on that and just wanted to mention it. So, yeah, I like that. um, Let's let's get back to kind of the the high level questions. Mm-hmm. Um, we have not discussed the GMAT or GRE yet. Right. Um, did you? I assume you took the LSAT. Yes. Okay. So just listeners, contextually, if if you're not familiar with um, the legal world, LSAT, MCAT, GRE, GMAT are all graduate school preparatory tests, mm-hmm. and Pretty notoriously, um, LSAT is a bit of a nightmare. And mm-hmm. the reason I mention that is that we're, we're going to, of course, ask Maddie, you know, how she chose GMAT or GRE, which one she's studying for. And this is not a bad thing. It's just the truth. Keep in mind, though, that good or bad at tests or whatever she's taken and passed an LSAT, which is a tough one. Um, so she knows what she's doing is what I'm saying. Um so yeah, Maddie, what, which one did you choose or have you chosen the GMAT or GRE? So you were, um, you, uh, played a significant role, honestly, in deciding to switch to the GRE. I was fully set on taking the GMAT, um, 
again, originally was assuming I would need nine to 12 months in order to prep for the GMAT and was planning on next year's cycle. But um, there's so many, so many forums and, and articles about the GMAT being the most preferred test by admission. So I immediately, my head was like, there's no decision to be made. I'm going to do the GMAT. Um, but right off the bat, I, the, the quant section, it's again, with a law degree and a humanities background, an English lit major. Um, I think the last math related course I took was QTM, quantitative theoretical methods. A QTM person probably knows what that means <laughs> um, when I was a freshman at Emory. And so seeing angles and <laughs> numbers and factoring, um, I thought, oh, this is going to be tough. This is going to take a year of, of studying. But then when you chatted with me and said, oh, why don't you try the GRE? And, and when I researched about the GRE again, I noticed that the quant section was most definitely, um, it was covering subject matter within, within, within quant or the, or math areas that would, it was something that I could do, right? I knew I could make this happen. Um, especially in terms of getting ready for round two and in a way took away my sense of insecurity that I had going into these exams. Um, again, I just assumed that the GRE wasn't, so to speak, respected by ADCOM. So I just threw out that, even that possibility. Um, but fast forward, and I've been studying for the GRE, and I feel so much more confident. When I say confident, I mean confident in my studying. Um, I'm not about to say I'm confident in getting that perfect score. Who knows? Um, fingers crossed. But um, I'm in such a better place in terms of realizing that there is an option. You don't have to just do the GMAT. Look at your your strengths and weaknesses and choose an exam based on that. So you, David, were you know played a, a monumental role in helping me see that. Perfect. Awesome. Um, and to clarify, and especially for our listeners, I completely echo her sentiment that there are tons of threads and forums and everything out there that say the GMAT is the, the way to go. What you will notice a distinct lack of is you will never see one of those threads or forums with a harvard.edu or a Chicago booth.edu. As I said, in the GRE GMAT podcast, it's interesting that when you go to Harvard and booth and any of the top schools sites, they have the GRE and the GMAT right next to each other. And verbatim, Harvard says, we do not have a preference. And me working for one of those schools tells you we could so care less what you do. It takes right. us a fraction of a second to read what your score was. And then we move right. on. Right. That is it. Yep. So, okay, great. Are you using a test prep service of any kind? Yes. I'm using um, Target Test Prep. Oh, wow. That, my last interview, we had that too. Really? Yeah. This, yeah, this is like good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so listeners, uh, Maddie, I'm going to, I'm going to go on repeat here real quick, just in case they didn't okay. listen to the last one. Um, it's targettestprep.com. It's, uh, I know I've said that I always lean towards saving money and I still do. Um, but their packages go from something like 230 a month. You'll probably need a couple of months up to thousands and thousands of dollars, but everything I could see on their website, pretty decent. So if you do need, that's two people now that I, I very much trust and respect that have both used target test prep. So target test prep.com. 
Um, again, we're not, we're not sponsored by them or anything. Um, but yeah, targettestprep.com. If you need test prep, they seem, um, by, by a hundred percent margin to be, to be winning the race right now. So, yeah, but, but keep your eyes open for, for sales and deals because, um, I got six months of it for, I think less than $200. Awesome. You know what, on, on that note with, with stuff like that, this is a weird thing that I learned, um, working, uh, actually in finance, but anyway, if you, if let's say you register for target test prep, you put your email address in there, put the package, let's say the, the $200 a month package in your cart and leave it in there. If you leave it in there for a couple of days, believe it or not, how cookies and everything work, you are likely to get an email with a discount. It's very weird, but it happens. Scathing details. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. What has been, we're going to go higher level here. Um, just kind of generic, they're generic questions, but I still think they're incredibly important. What's been your biggest concern throughout all of this? And it can be about anything. Um, most definitely the, the test just based on my experience taking an LSAT, um, and of course an SAT, um, aware of that being a major component, even though it, as you've noted in podcasts, it's just one component, it's still a major component and, and you, it definitely, at least for me, soothes any worry going in when you can stand by a certain score that gives you that confidence. So of course that that keeps me consistently uneasy. Um, but I'm okay with that, right? It's about embracing sometimes the unknown or the challenges that come with that. But also just, yeah, being a uh, untraditional or non-traditional candidate, being able to best articulate the why MBA. As I've talked with you, I have other people in my ears saying, oh, just being an entrepreneur and saying you want to scale your business. They're not, they want to know the type of success you're going to have and at what company. So you need to be able to say PE or, or VC, something like that. And so it's, it's that for me, David, it's that tug and pull, right? Again, going back to my law school experience, trying to choose whether to write about what you think will get you in versus writing about what is actually authentically part of your journey to getting to this point. Awesome. Um, quick note on that for you too. I'm not sure if I've told you this where, where I worked, no one, well, certainly I think this is true for all the top schools. People with MBAs don't become MBA admissions directors, right? Right. That would not be what the MBA is made for. So, I can tell you too, a lot of the people that I worked with, and these are directors that I truly genuinely respect. It's why I wish I could, I would have decided to disclose where I worked again, not hard to figure out, but still, um, without fail, the directors that I worked with were awesome and I'm not calling them out badly on this. I'm not sure if every single one of them knew what VC PEIB is right. And to be honest, the, the, I, I, Maddie, with respect to your friends, that is incorrect advice. You do not need to know if you want, you don't even know what VC is, right? Mm -hmm. Talk about search funds. I still can't explain what search funds are. And <laughs> literally a good friend of ours is going like, I don't know. Right. Neither does Katie. And like she, she's an MBA. There's right. stuff that you'll just never know about. What I'm getting at though, is that you don't need to be an unbelievably professional businesswoman or businessman to go to MBA school. That's why you go to MBA school. 
And the people reading, like it, honestly, I would really encourage you not to use terms like VC, especially as an acronym or IB or PE, right? Because honestly, still to this day, if I see PE, I think phys ed, I think like you're, you want to be a dodgeball teacher, which is super cool, but I'm not going to admit you to a top school and let you go a quarter million dollars in debt to be a dodgeball coach. Right. right. So, um, anyway, yeah. Um, Remember who who your audience is. So, um, what's been your biggest, what's been the biggest help? The biggest help without a doubt has been the, the support during this process. I mean, you, Katie, I mean, it's incredible how it's that, it's that cliche quote where to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you could be the world. Like the impact that one person and their perspective can have on you and your goals, I mean, is, is truly life changing um, in terms of, like I said earlier, someone commenting on one of your skills or one of your strong suits or, or something they see in you. Um, the things that people ha- have seen in me when it comes to, you know, maybe cut this out, David, because I'm like. Um, so we get emotional. Um, it's okay. Yeah. 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 It's been, yeah. When it comes to the, what was it? The best part? Yeah. What's, what's been, what's been the biggest help? Biggest help. Yeah. The biggest help, the biggest help through this process. And even before embarking on this journey of wanting to or choosing to get an MBA has been the people um, who have supported me and sort of showed me that this is a real possibility, not even a possibility, but reality that I can do this. Um, I've always thought in the back of my mind, actually, what's funny is when I applied for college, I applied to University of Pennsylvania. I did not get in. their loss. But anyways, uh, the interviewer, (laughs) I got to the interview rounds and the interviewer was actually a woman who had just completed her MBA at Wharton. And she said at the end of the interview, she was like, Madeline, you're a businesswoman. Why are you, I I went to undergrad originally to go into medicine, um, specifically to be a veterinarian. I love, I love and loved animals. And she said, you, you, have started websites, you've started charities, you had a you were had a bookmark store at school when you were nine years old. Like <laughs> you you have entre- you have entrepreneurial like just running through your your veins. Um but I was but I just kind of kept that in the back of my mind through all my through all the other different pursuits of mine. And up until now I'm like, wow, I really have all this time had that desire to be autonomous and start my own businesses and take those risks and be creative and be able to tap into that adventurous side of me. Right. Um, and being an entrepreneur has allowed me to do that, but it's been the people in my immediate environment who have done that, who have gotten their MBAs, who have worked in industries that want people who are entrepreneurs or people who are able to create successful businesses or take that risk to create businesses. Um, 
And I think it really is the people, it, it, not even think I know it's the people that have made this experience what it's been um, and why I can't stop. <laughs> you know, there's no way I'm cutting this out, right? <laughs> <laughs> if it helps the pod, if it helps no, the pod. No, that was, that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> that was beautiful. I, uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I, uh, I want to say here to, and yeah, I, I, Maddie, Maddie knows, Katie knows so much. I, I get emotional all the time. So I'm trying to control it right here. Um, that sentiment of having people in your corner, uh, very, very, well, we'll do this on another podcast, but, um, I'm a totally permanently disabled vet had a very strange, um, my twenties were weird. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, meeting my wife. And her support in my corner has radically changed my life. And having people support you like that, just like Maddie just mentioned with your dreams and your endeavors and pointing out your, your strengths is huge. But, um, I spent almost a decade without that and Mm -hmm. I know what that's like. So, um, kind of shameless plug here, but that is very much why this podcast is what it is, is that I know some of you listeners out there might not have people that believe in you or much like a lot of people's experience, you might have people that say, why do you want more? Um, and as, as best as I can, um, the reason this podcast exists is that in this limited capacity of a, of a podcast, um, me, the people that come on this are all trying to pay it forward. We're trying to be those people for you. So we want to support you as best as we can, because a common thing with pretty much everybody you'll see me bringing in here is that um, you can call us whatever you want, but I don't think any of us are actually self-made. Um, we are results of the wonderful people that we've had around and we're trying to support you with that. So right. 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 I'm going to go be, be emotional. <laughs> hey, we have to let the emotion come out. Right. Sometimes. But to add on to that, um, to sort of dovetail off that additionally, you know, I come from a family where my family is supportive to the nth degree. My parents from at the earliest age, when I wanted to be a tennis player, you, you're going to be the best tennis player of all time, right? Oh, you want to go to law school? You're going to be the best lawyer of all time, right? And so that support is invaluable. I am well aware that not everyone is lucky or privileged enough to have that sense of support from family. But on the flip side of the coin, right? My family does not have a background in academia, right? My parents, you know, actually they, they are on, they were entrepreneurs. They started a business before I was born. Unfortunately, the recession, they, they didn't have the skill sets to be able to pick themselves up when there were market changes, when there were challenges, right? That's sort of an additional note to mention why I also feel so strongly about an MBA to be able to avoid those pitfalls that I watched my parents deal with because they were unemployed for years after that, because they didn't know what to do. They were unable to adapt to the change in, in, in the business environment and what was happening. Um, and so like I was just saying, um, you can have the support from your family and the love, but to be able to have support from people who are able to help you figure out those next steps and maybe have some experience in what you are trying to get into, in a sense, they have sort of that, they, that door creaked open for you and saying, come on in, like, we're going to help you figure this out. That's so important. Um, and so it's worth 
you know, reaching out to people, you know, sending that LinkedIn message because it's, it's actions like that. You talk about, you know, actionable steps, David, those right. little, if you, you know, there's this great, uh, lecture. I sent it to you, David, the other day about risk-taking and, you know, life is all about which train ride we're on. And we're not all born at the, the, the train stop that is going to get us onto the train that we're hoping to get on. But you can go walk on over to those train stops that have certain people that are boarding onto the train that you want to go onto. Um, and I think that that's a really great way of putting it. Again, this professor from Booth, he, he articulated it in his lecture really beautifully. I'm looking through our text. Do you remember the name? Um, gosh, let me see. Let me see if I have it. Oh, here we go. Risk taking by professor Ram. And I'm going to spell yes. his last name listeners. Uh, so this is Chicago Booth risk taking, uh, it's just on YouTube and it's, uh, S H I V A K U. M A R. So Ram Shivaka Moore, I believe Mar. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a boothy. Um, awesome. Well, it's been wonderful. I do have one more question if you have time. Yeah. Um, so I definitely, a big goal of mine with this podcast is to bring on truly diverse perspectives. And I think people are really silly about talking about this. I mean, specifically not the straight white male privilege, right? Like, like mine that, um, there's regardless of your stance on it, um, getting into business schools is an interesting prospect. If you're not the straight white male, um, regardless of if you think it's overblown or under whatever, um, all that being said, this big long preface is because I also firmly believe that we need to be, and this is something you can actually, um, uh, learn from a professor at Booth. I, I read him before we even applied to Booth. It's Professor Epley, and the book is called Mindwise. Um, cannot recommend it enough. Um, there's an issue with when trying to do diversity, equity, and inclusion of reducing people to singular stats. And this whole preface is because, Maddie, I know you are more than just your gender. I get that. And while I want to be respectful of the fact that you have a different experience than me, it's also kind of asinine and pedantic to pretend like, you know, it, it, it to reduce you just to one quality, right? That, um, so that's not what I'm trying to do here. However, you know, calling a spade a spade, I have certainly noticed an almost universal feeling of imposter syndrome from all the MBAs I've met, but with a, specific slant towards almost all women seem to feel this huge sense of imposter syndrome and it breaks my heart. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to, um, you know, cause it, it for, for those listeners out there, like with my wife, it, it started before we got into the MBA into graduate school, it got worse during our time at Booth and it took a long time. Um, so Maddie, if you can just speak to what you're experiencing and your thoughts on imposter syndrome. Yeah, um, there's this really good quote. I forget where it's from, but it's um, imposter syndrome is just fear in really good shoes. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew you would like that. Nice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Save it. Um, so it's this, this idea that fear, um, it's just fear dressed up and polished, right? Where we conceal our self-doubt and our feelings of inadequacy, right? Wow. Um, I think 
to go so far as to say, oh, how can we get rid of our imposter syndrome? Can we get rid of our fear? No, I think the, like you said, when Katie got deeper into, you know, um, her MBA experience, um, right, that sense of imposter syndrome, it gets even more conflated and it gets heavier, right? We start questioning ourselves even more. And that I think though we have to, at least what I try to do is remind myself, remind myself that if I am feeling a sense of fear, it means I'm trying to do something big, right? I'm trying to go for something huge, something bigger than myself. Um, I think the moment we try to force ourselves to not be fearful and say, oh, I'm fearless, that's the, we're lying to ourselves. There's nothing wrong with being afraid of big things in life. That's what makes it exciting. That's what makes it a risk for anyone who watches the, or listens to the, the YouTube video from the Booth professor will notice or note that in the lecture, it's all about not, uh, you know, not taking the risk is the biggest risk of all. Right. right? So it's about embracing this concept of imposter syndrome. And again, just seeing it as fear dressed up in shoes. We're, we're just trying, everyone is just fighting against themselves, right? To hide their sense of fear. We're, we all feel it. We all have it. Anyone who says they don't, well, maybe they're a narcissist. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, specifically as a woman, certainly, um, I just turned 27 and so many women I know are, are getting married or they're, they're doing things that are outside of their career. And I've, I've had, you know, a tough time connecting with people, specifically women because of that questioning of my priorities. Right. But in my, in my mind, and I say it verbatim, well, what are you prioritizing? Right. right? So I think that um, specifically for women, pursuing lofty goals within academia or business or for their career. I mean, this is, this is the trend of the times, right? We are able to be 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, keep it going and continue to pursue what makes us feel better than we did yesterday. Right. And that goes with anything we do, whether it's, you know, you and I, David, we talk about all sorts of different things that we're constantly trying to approve upon, right? Whether it's fitness, whether it's health and wellness, whether it's relationships, I'm that type of person or not even type of person. I think we all should strive to do this, but I want to optimize every area of my life, right? So that includes my mind, that includes my brain. Um, I don't want to look back when I'm 70 years old and be like, wow, my mind could have been done so much more. Right. And Absolutely. so I think that specifically as a woman, I want to be able to, I want to, I of course want kids one day, um, a thousand percent. Sometimes I say more than anything, I want that, that family, but I want more so to have kids where they can say, wow, mommy did that. Doesn't have to just be daddy. Right. And I think that that is really powerful when thinking about building a legacy and building a future for your kids for your family and just for the next generation of, of leaders. I have a, within my, my company, I have a big focus on, you know, having female coaches and fe young female tennis players. Um, and my younger female tennis players, like my goal is to be a role model for them. And I can't tell you how many of them say, I want to be a lawyer and business owner and teach tennis, just like coach Maddie. 
And that's so powerful because um, there's not too many role models like that. It's just the truth of the matter straight up. So I think it's, we, we have to do it for ourselves, but that's simultaneously doing it for the next generation of, of women. So thank you. That was yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I, yeah. uh, so I naturally kind of want to progress into just sharing something that got brought up and I do this with a sense that, um, I, <laughs> can you hear Kaya? Hiya bear. <laughs> She's like, I'm a girl. Right? I need to be part of this. <laughs> she is. Oh my gosh. She totally is. <laughs> She's contributing to the conversation. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I do this though with the sense that I'm not trying to, um, step over what you said or anything like that. It's just, it's what came to mind, especially with, um, seeing my wonderful wife and you know how badass she is, um, dealing with imposter syndrome. Yeah, 100%, I can, I can second that she is, she is a badass, but a humble <laughs> one. I know. I know yeah. almost to a fault. Yeah. Right. It's like, Katie, stop being so humble. It harder <laughs> <for me. laughs> totally. Um, and we'll go into this in more detail later, but something I've shared with my, my wife and I want to share with everybody, including you, Maddie, is um, one of the most influential men in my life is a gentleman named Doug Phillip. He was my high school um, German teacher, mm. and I probably learned more about life from him than almost any other man. And um, he is one of the most deeply sensitive people I've ever met, and it made me be okay being sensitive. Anyway. Um, really kind of romantic story here. We were walking around Berlin downtown at night and I was having a lot of trouble because I think, um, I just graduated and I was sad that I wasn't going to be able to date the girl of my dreams, right? The typical super tragic stuff. Um, that's so epic back when you're a teenager. Um, but what was amazing about air Phillip is, uh, he, he's still teaching like 36 years on or something. Um, was he was just so in tune with what his students were feeling and he knew I was struggling and I was struggling with deciding where to go play college football. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because he's, if he's anything, he's intelligent, hyper intelligent. And he, like me, does not like platitudes, but we were walking around downtown Berlin um, with my German teacher and he's just having this like fatherly talk with me about all these decisions. And it's like, he knows at his core that I'm just struggling with not knowing what to do or what decisions to make, or can I have it all? Or should I leave Colorado and go, go play football here or there? And he told me, he's like, you know, being very air Philip, he's like, you know, I'm not one for platitudes and you'll need to look that word up because <laughs> uh, always a teacher. But, uh, he said, it's not that it's going to be better or worse. Your decisions. It's just going to be different. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because that is the simplest piece of advice ever. And it sounds like a platitude. I hate the idea of, you know, of any platitude of any thought terminating statement that sounds like righteous and moral, but really is just like, oh, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. It's like, that doesn't help anything. The older I've gotten, the more mistakes I've made and the luckier I've become with the people that have come into my life, the more I realize that at the end of the day. If you choose to have kids now or go to an MBA school, if you choose to adopt or never have kids or whatever, it truly isn't making your life better or worse in most cases. It's literally just different. Um, so I think of that when I think of imposter syndrome, that there's a lot of pressure on us to make the right decision. And I don't know if that really, in most cases, exists, right? It's not 
it's not TV where you have to decide if you're going to save the world or not, you know, MBA school now, or maybe just continue what you're doing and, and get on dating sites and find the man and start a family. Really, neither one is bad because I feel like I've seen this happen with Katie where as much as we're trying as a culture to make it okay for women to want everything, there's also this kind of paradoxical burden of you're also, Maddie, expected to have a kid, be married, have your stuff together, be able to keep your house up and get an MBA and do this. And it's like, holy crap, like that's a lot of pressure, right? right? And like one step at a time and the order in which you choose those steps is not better or worse. It's just different. Right. And then um, last thing, and then I'll get off my soapbox here that I think of that I, I kind of want to share with everyone um, is just this idea of comfort with discomfort. So I learned this through jujitsu. There's nothing like, you know, being choked to death to make you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, but learning to sit with your sense of imposter syndrome and know that it's never going to leave your side. And instead of developing the conviction that I will be a great boothie or I will be a great MBA or a great mom or whatever, develop the conviction in yourself, listener and Maddie, that you will do what it takes. You will put in the effort and you'll reach out for help and seek help to become the best boothie or an MBA or a great mom. You know, so it's not the conviction that you'll just magically become this person. It's that you will do what it takes to become that person. Anyway, that was my little monologue. Thank you for letting me go off on there. So, um, yeah, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. That was fantastic. I appreciate, I appreciate, you know, everything you've done to help me get to this point. And, um, everything hereafter is just, a a really amazing, like you said earlier, that, that continuance of self-discovery when during your pursuit of something more. Well, it's been on behalf of Katie and myself, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in our lives. And we are certainly very lucky. Um, sincerely, I would love to, obviously we'll talk, you know, immediately after this and everything, but, um, in, interview wise, I would love to have you back, um, to kind of follow your journey. Absolutely, um, I'd love to. Perfect. Sounds good. All right, Maddie. Well, thank you so very much. And dear listeners, I hope you had a, a wonderful time listening to us. And if you need anything tennis related, Maddie is your gal, especially in Chicago. 100%. All right. Take care. We'll talk soon.